The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. We've got a great guest for you today, Rick Lindreth. He is a professor at the University of Illinois. He's a distinguished achievement professor of ecology and recent associate dean for research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. His research focuses on ecology and global change in the forest ecosystems. He's been a Fulbright Fellow and is a Fellow of the Ecological Society of America and the Entomological Society of America and the American Association for Advancement of Science. He's a five with a four wing. Ian will get a little deeper into his bio and the interesting way that they ended up connecting. Hey, make sure you follow us on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ian Morgan Cron and Typology Podcast. That's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Podcast. And also, if you love the podcast, make sure you leave us a review. It helps others find the show. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Hope you have a fantastic week. With no further ado, and now, here is the host of our show, Ian Crump. Hey, Rick, welcome to Typology. Oh, thanks for having me. We're, uh, uh, Anthony and I were just talking, we're already intimidated. We read your, your, uh, your CV and we're like, oh my gosh, we have the smartest person we've ever had on the show. We're going to come That's out of right. here looking incredibly dumb. <laughs> I, I doubt it. As my family is always fond of reminding me, yeah, dad, you're famous to a very small group of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are thrilled that you're here. And there's kind of a funny story about how you ended up on typology. Oh, there certainly is. So why don't you tell it? Because I think it's great. Okay. So uh, a couple of months ago, I was in Denver and uh, speaking with a group there called the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. And uh, they have a fellows program. And a number of the fellows and I went out to dinner together. And there were about eight of us sitting around the table. We We were having a great conversation. And one of the fellows sitting across from me was this uh, young, bright, engaging, very smart young woman. And we had, the group of us, uh, had a had great connection. At some point during the conversation, it switched to Enneagram. I don't know if I asked the question or if they did. And then everyone got all engaged because apparently they use the Enneagram in, as part of their training. And they wanted to know what I thought of it. And I gave my typical answer was I kind of had to come kicking it and screaming into any a world. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I had some initial uh, major reservations, which we can talk about later if you'd like, but uh, that eventually uh, I understood it as a model. And uh, as George Box, the famous statistician that we've talked about before, Ian, once said, all models are wrong, some are useful. Mm-hmm. And once I got over that, uh, I then found it to be actually uh, very helpful in my own personal life and, and 
family life. So we talked about that for quite a while. And then as we broke up from dinner and we're going our separate ways, my host said, oh, that, that young lady just crossed the street. That's Ian Cron's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I've been kind of bashing Enneagram and I go, oh, no. But um, my wife and especially elder daughter are, are big Enneagram fans and um, they're the experts. I'm kind of an imposter they're the experts. Now, okay, this is as close as I will ever get to Ian Cron because I've listened to typology for uh, a year. So I yelled across the street, hey, Maddie, hold up. And I uh, ran across the street and said, this is really, really uh, going to sound bad, but can I get your picture? <laughs> this is as close to Ian Cron as I'm ever going to get. That's great. <laughs> and, and then she said, well, yeah, of course. And so I took a selfie. Uh, one of maybe three I've taken in my entire life with your daughter, Maddie. And then she said, well, you know, my dad sometimes has trouble finding fives wanting to be on the show. <laughs> thought, that's great. Well, that's not surprising. Do you mind if I give him your name? And I said, no. So, and here we are. And here we are. Well, and I'm, and I'm delighted. I am delighted. And sometimes it is hard to find fives who want to be on this show, because uh, investigators are this type that we sometimes call also observers, right? Um, tend to be quite private. Um, and uh, this sort of a interview um, format can be a little intimidating or anxiety-provoking for fathers. Sure. Is absolutely. That, so is that true for you? Because you do a oh, lot of, of work like this. Uh, yeah, but I've never gotten over being the, in, uh, being intimidated or perhaps even terrified, uh, <laughs> at moments, but, uh, I've gotten used to it. Wow. Okay. So I would like to have you describe what an Enneagram mm. five is and what it's like, just in brief, what it's like to be an Enneagram five. So as an Enneagram five, uh, First of all, I th I'm pretty uniquely attuned to my environment. I see, observe, hear just about everything going on around me. Mm. And I've always been that way. And it took me a long time in life to figure out that other people are not. Mm -hmm. So I'm very observant. Um, and I think that's probably what has uh, served me well in being a, a scientist. I love information. I love knowledge. I love being, in a sense, as close to being omniscient as because <laughs> I like knowing about everything. I don't care if we're going on a trip or if I'm, uh, you know, reading a manual on a on a new tool or whatever. I just like knowing how stuff works and and how the world works. Mm. So I'm always collecting information. But as a five. Uh, I've also, uh, it's been a lifelong pursuit to try to understand my emotional being, mm. who mm. I am as an emotional person, because I grew up as a kid where emotions were in some ways not allowed. They certainly weren't discussed. And uh, so for a couple of decades, I was emotionally distant from myself. And for most of my life, I've been somewhat emotionally distant from others because I just don't talk about emotions. Uh, for many, many years of our marriage, my wife felt I didn't have emotions. And actually, as a five with a four wing, no, I, I feel emotions intensely, but I just don't express them. 
So, uh, you know, I'll hold them in, I'll process them. Well, what I I say to my wife and others is, I don't like to talk about feelings until I've analyzed, classified, categorized (laughs) them, and put them, tucked them away. And after I've analyzed and classified them, there's no need to talk about them. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, uh, that's kind of a bit of my life as a, Mm. as a five with, with a four wing. Wow, that there was a lot of insight yes. there that I I'd never really heard a, a, a five articulate so clearly before. Right, right. I mean, really, one of the things you just said that I want to just sort of peg back on is sure. emotionally distant from yourself. I mean, most of the time people talk about or fives talk about emotional uh, distance from, from others, others yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But I've never heard a five talk about being emotionally distant from themselves. What does that mean? And what's that like? Wow. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm pretty good at um, experiencing emotion very briefly and then tucking it away somewhere in the back of my mind uh, to be processed later. Mm. So uh, I can go throughout life without actually experiencing life on an emotional basis, but I kind of tuck things away. If something very upsetting or emotional happens, my first response is to get, to get by myself, go out for a walk, and process it by myself, think it through, and then uh, try to deal with it. But uh, mostly, uh, emotions are things that I have to work to be attuned to, and then to try to actually experience them as emotions rather than simply analyze them as yet another stream of inform- information coming into my life. Mm. Does, that make, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it totally does. And, but for a four who is exquisitely attuned and oftentimes awash in my feelings, <laughs> yeah. who has to remind himself from time to time that critical thinking might be useful. <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's, again, we're describing different normals. Yeah. Um, people have different normals. And boy, when you understand that, you begin to have compassion. You also begin to have appreciation for uh, the diversity of the world right. in which we live. Right. Uh, right. And uh, so really... That's almost worth the whole price of admission hearing you talk about <laughs> okay. you know, emotional distance from yourself. So, right. Uh, we might get around to this later, but one of my uh, practices for the last couple of years has been to reduce that distance. So when I am experiencing an emotion, to take the time and really experience it in the moment. Mm. Um, hold it in my head. And think about it for 20 seconds. That's my neuroplasticity rule. Right. right. So if I can engage with this thought or engage with this emotion for 20 seconds, it is going to help rewire my brain to, to accommodate emotions probably in a, in a more healthy way. Right. Oh. So I love, you know, I've been studying a lot in the last few years or reading a lot, studies, maybe giving myself more credit than I should, about the way the brain works and neuroplasticity and how do we right. change? And that one of the things you're just pointing to is that for every type, for every human being, we are more capable of change than any of us really give oh, ourselves absolutely. credit for. Right. 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 Uh, mm. We really can do a lot of rewiring uh, to make ourselves uh, or maybe to cooperate with our God given nature to, to develop in directions that we 
you know, that we really need to develop. Right. Absolutely. Mm. So, so good. Now, it sounded at the beginning like if you were going to pick a name for, uh, or, you know, uh, a signifier for your type, that maybe being the observer is a little bit better even than the investigator as a signifier. Um, I'm not so sure, actually. Okay. Uh, I am an observer, but uh, I, if, I like the word explorer. Ooh. Um, because uh, observer seems to be uh, too detached mm. for me. Uh, certainly, I do observe a lot, but um, I just love to explore, to dive in, acquire information, and uh, engage with the world around me. Mm. So I, I, I think that uh, observer seems to be a little bit too passive for how I would view myself. That's really good. And I love, I'm going to think about the idea that maybe the, uh, another way of talking about fives is as, as the explorer. Yeah, I like I, that. I, you know, one of the things that I, I often ask people is, you know, um, what is your happiness program? So I think everybody has a program for happiness that they learn as a kid, right? Like, if right. I do this, I will yeah. be happy, or I will yeah. be safe, or I, yeah. whatever it may be. Um. What's the happiness program for a five? If I blank, I will be, you know, happy, safe, loved, wh whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I think it comes back to the omniscience or maybe even more broadly than omniscience is omnicompetence. Mm. If, I'm, if I'm feeling fully competent in all dimensions of my activities, then I feel good. Mm. And so I think I'm always, my life has always been striving to become fully competent in everything I do and yes. everything I think. Right. And you know, that, that can be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Given the immensity of the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and you know, I think for lots of fives, as I understand it, that competency is a... Uh, or the pursuit of competency is a compensation for a, uh, the fear of incompetency. Oh, right? sure. Right. right. Uh, the feeling right. that uh, of inadequacy in the face of an overwhelming world. Right. And, and also that the pursuit of knowledge is a defense um, against a world that feels unpredictable, chaotic, and overly demanding yeah. uh, of the five. Right. Is that your experience? Uh, well, certainly, I think uh, the pursuit of knowledge has had some of that as a basis, um, because if I can understand everything about my world, uh, there won't be things that surprise me or threaten me mm -hmm. as readily. Uh, I had a very, very stable childhood. Uh, I didn't have unknown threats uh, that would come at me you know, out of the blue, um, loving parents, loving, um, good, uh, family. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't actually know how to put that question into place with respect to my upbringing, you know, what I was trying to, to protect from. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about emotions for a second. Okay. And, and I guess this is probably true for, you know, it's, it's unique to every five's journey. But what emotions in particular 
are most difficult for you? Oh, gosh. I've never thought about that. Yeah, and here's the five. <laughs> Giving two minutes of thought before he'll answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I th Actually, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, I actually respond emotionally uh, pretty strongly to life around me. And when I was a child, those emotions oftentimes got the better of me. Mm. And I would, I would be embarrassed. You know, I would cry easier than my friends and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so I think I chose to just ward them off or mm. wall them off. And um, that was perhaps a, a defense response. What one of the emotions that uh, I'm affected by frequently and that for some reason is difficult for me to, uh, to communicate is I'm touched by beauty mm -hmm. uh, in words, mm -hmm. in music. And I'll, I'll read three sentences out of anything, a book, an article, and I'll almost literally be moved to tears. Mm. But I'll be hesitant to express it because I might be moved to tears. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yes. Um, and I think that goes back to, you know, it's just, it's not okay to show emotion. That was definitely a strong part of my upbringing. Mm. Uh, not only are emotions uh, really not okay, but it's definitely not okay to express them. Mm. So when I'm feeling touched by uh, things transcendent, things... Um, of beauty, etc. It's hard for me to communicate that, even to those I love around me, and partly because for some of those around me, they'd go, "Huh? What? I don't get it." <laughs> and then I feel all defeated, like, "Oh, I just had this, you know, strong emotional response, and and nobody else feels that way." Mm. Uh, you know, it's not that difficult for me to feel sadness or to feel anger or those. It's not like I try to push them. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Aside. So I want to read you something that you sent me uh, okay. because you actually just touched on something that is really great. And by the way, it's a signature, I think, with fives and people don't really get this, which right. is this idea of being deeply touched by beauty, by transcendence. And maybe a word that I would use there is awe. Yes. Perfect. Right? Uh, yeah. So listen huh. to this, uh, Anthony. This is, was uh, a writing from, from Rick. He says... He's talking about you're talking about brook trout here because you're a fly oh, fisherman. Yes, right. Okay. Uh, and then you, you you write this. I love them for who I become in their presence. Mm. In the pursuit of brook trout, my scientific mind, artistic soul, and athletic body converge to the rhythm of a four count beat. I move naturally, effortless, effortlessly, at the pinnacle of mindfulness. The world is reduced to the confluence of air, stone, and water, liquid grace. And, on occasion, 
I am treated to a completely inordinate amount of pleasure by winning a battle of wits with a creature whose brain is the size of a pea. <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs> is that not beautiful? Oh, my word, I love and, that. And what I love about that, and it's not just fives with four. I mean, I think fives, see, what you're getting there is the powers of observation. Right. But the sense of awe, the transcendence uh, of the moment, mm. right, mm-hmm. being articulated. It's beautiful writing. And you're also getting the 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 humor side of the five too, which mm-hmm. is very subtle and right. wonderful. It's right. just like yes. you know, it, you know the you know being in a battle of wits with a creature <laughs> whose brain is the size of a pea. Yes. and and you know, by the way, I think what what this reminds me of, and I've never really thought about this. I wonder if Annie Dillard is a five with a four or a four with a five. For those who don't know Annie Dillard. Uh, she won the Pulitzer Prize at what, maybe 27 or 28 years old for uh, yeah. Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, right. which is like a fives heaven. I mean, I'm sure you've read it a couple of times, right? I've actually not read it. So now I'm going to have to add oh it. Oh my the gosh, list. Rick, you have got to read. <laughs> okay. Uh, Pilgrim, uh, I mean, it is, a, it is really a remarkable book written with an eye for observation that is so stunning hmm. about the wow. natural world. Wow. It's extraordinary. Wow. Her writing well, I do is read extraordinary. Num- I read a number of books uh, of that uh, of that ilk, so I'll definitely have to read that one. Well, some yeah. will credit Annie Dillard, some will credit her with really launching that entire genre of hmm. nature writing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and Pilgrim, you know, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, uh, that that game, that book was a game changer for me. And I say it because your writing has both that the this observation, this sort of distant observing thing, but then yeah. this sense of awe and transcendence. And I hear fives. Like, do you love Bach? Oh yes, yes. I used to listen to Bach when I would study in college. Right. I have fives. Tell me all the time they love Bach. Wow. Yeah. Do you do you love jazz? Not really. Okay. I know a lot of fives who do, right? Okay. It, um, right. There's something about improvisation and, and uh, mm. that they, they find sort of, yeah. uh, sort of winning some way for them. But but with Bach, you know, you have beauty, but there's almost mathematical precision happening at right. the same time. Right. And for the five, yeah. it's almost like it lights up some part of their brain. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So right. thank you for, for raising that whole issue of beauty. Mm. Ob- observing, but awe that fives can be gripped with awe. They're not machines, you know. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not like they. They actually are profoundly spiritual people. Um, some of the greatest Zen masters, for example, are fives. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. Their their ability to practice mindfulness, their mm-hmm. uh, and meditation to be mm-hmm. sort of observe the stream of emotions versus getting swept up in them. Exactly, yeah. Right? And hey, and thanks for those comments about humor. <laughs> this is going to sound odd. I actually think I'm pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's very subtle yes. and dry. And if you're not listening, you're not going to get it. No. Which, which made me really sad when my two daughters left home because uh, they think I'm pretty funny. My wife, my wife just kind of rolls her eyes most of the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, fives have a sense of irony. Uh, yes, and, exactly. And I, I have a story about a five. One of my best friends, I've had two best friends who were fives. Uh, he and I were in Santiago, Chile, 
And uh, we decided, I had been there before and I said, well, look, we got to go out to dinner at this a wonderful restaurant in downtown Santiago I want to take you to. I gave the address to the cab driver and I must have given the wrong address. We got taken to and dropped off in the worst part <laughs> of town. <laughs> and we are dressed like oh. in blazers. Oh my God. You know, ties. Yeah. Oh no. Loafers. I mean, we look like a couple of well-heeled guys from America standing. <laughs> and we're standing on an island between oh like gosh. two three-lane roads going back in the crazy traffic. Well, down the uh this island comes stumbling this this guy who is clearly wrecked drunk, uh-huh. right? Just wrecked drunk. And uh he stumbles up to my friend, and I'm trying to figure out what are we gonna do here. He stumbles up to my friend. And proceeds to throw up all over his oh, no. all over no. his shoes and the bottom of his pants. Oh, and my then word. walks away. Right? Oh my gosh. So my friend looks at me, he just turns his head. He's like, he is such a five. He looks at me, no expression on his face. He just looks at me and he goes, These are not our people. <laughs> <laughs> just a straight face oh, and he just dropped the line so perfectly that uh, i just i howled in yeah. the middle of this thing laughing my head That's off great. he just looks down at his shoes and he looks up and he goes these are not our people oh <laughs> that's wow. a five response to the moment man fantastic that's right? hilarious wow all right so what happens when you have to connect emotionally like with your students, I mean, are most of your students? Do you think is there is there a disproportionate number of them who are fives? What, and if not, um, how is it that you make? Because emotions tend to be the place where we often make connections with other people at right. the level of emotions. Right. How do you ensure that you're creating a really solid attachment with with your students? Mm-hmm. And I think here mostly about uh, graduate students or right. others in my research group because. Uh, as an instructor in a classroom, you don't really have that much opportunity to connect emotionally. Uh, but <clears throat> certainly with my research group, people who I work with day after day for five years or so at a time, you do connect with them. And in, in those cases, you know, we take a regular opportunity to, ta- to talk about um, highs and lows, what's going on, what, it, what are the factors going on in life, um, Good things, bad things. Uh, we get to know, know, know each other as individuals. We have regular lab meetings in which we share more about our individual lives. And then I have regular one-on-one meetings with my students. And I try to make it uh, clear to them that uh, I'm available on a personal level. And sometimes they have big personal issues that come up with pursuing a PhD or sometimes it's family issues whatever, and we talk about them. Mm. And, you know, understanding now for many, many years that I tend to come off as distant and aloof, I really try to compensate, be aware of that, and connect with people in a way that they can feel that I'm safe, trustworthy, and understanding. Mm. I love that you use the word awareness. This is such a big uh, theme for me. Mm -hmm. uh, And of course, in the spiritual life, I do believe, uh, because I've been so influenced by the contemplative stream, Mm -hmm. 
the Thomas Burtons, who I think, you know, there's a four with a very strong five wing, you mm-hmm. know, uh, someone mm-hmm. who had an incredible intellect, but also an incredible art, artist's heart, you know, and the right. show right. was just extraordinary, right? Um, that um, the whole purpose of the spiritual journey is to wake up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in many different dimensions of our lives, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's for me, it's been mostly waking up to the emotional uh-huh. as well as the spiritual components yes. of life. Yes. Well, you, you, I, I, what you're describing, you know, on that 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 stream uh, and your encounter with Brook Trout is a mm. moment of awakening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a moment of coming alive, really, yes. and of of recognizing. Right now, I feel fully human. I feel fully engaged. I feel fully alive mm. and with all senses deeply attuned to what's going on around me. Mm. I guess uh, Jean-Pierre de Cossade, the great Jesuit, who uh, would say that that would be partaking in the sacrament of the present moment. Exactly. Good words. Yeah. Uh, which is, of course, uh, a, pre- a, a precursor by 300 years to Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. Tolle took uh, a Christian work, The Sacrament of the Present Moment, by Jean-Pierre de Cossade, the Jesuit, uh, and really did a fairly masterful job of, of bringing it into a secular space, uh, you know, kind of rinsing it of some of the, the purely Christian language. But Hmm. But uh, uh, contemporizing it and making it available to lots of people because it's just perennial wisdom. We need to wake up and mm. live in the moment that is a right. that is present to us right now. Yes, exactly. Right yep. mm-hmm. now, I think a five could do that quite well. Uh, for sevens, it's far more difficult. They're living mm. into the future. The, the, right, the present yeah. moment is uh, is elusive. But it sounds to me like for you. You have uh, the ability as a five to live with sustained attention to the present moment. Mm-hmm. I've been practicing it. I mean, tell me know, about it's, that. It's, tell me about it. Tell me about that. That's important. Well, I think it goes back to uh, the comment uh, a little while ago about when I'm in, uh, when I'm in, when I am in. A, sorry, let's start this over. <laughs> it goes back to the comment I had a few moments ago about when I'm experiencing something. To actually recognize I'm experiencing this, whether it's mm. a pleasant thought, an unpleasant thought, a funny emotion, uh, a sadness, and actually pausing mm-hmm. and soaking in it, you know, That's for good. that 20, 30 seconds, wow. engaging it, and then moving on uh, rather than just letting it flit into my head, pushing it out, and going about mm. my business. Mm. Yes, I, I've heard some teachers refer to that as the sacred pause. Yes, exactly. Right? The mm-hmm. sacred pause in, in the moment to, to, uh, to stop, to honor, to savor, to uh, experience mm-hmm. uh, what life has presented to us in this moment. Whether it's, right. whether it's eating right. a tangerine uh, yes. And fully experiencing the tangerine or uh, being present to an emotion, uh, whatever right. Right. whatever comes to us. Uh, so I, I do. I believe all of what we're talking about here is learning to live with conscious, wakeful intentionality. That's, yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah. I agree. That's so beautiful. And boy, that's a skill you really need in scientific research, I would imagine. Well, 
certainly, because there's just so much going on uh, all the time. And to do science well, you need to be very observant. And those who are not uh, find out about it in very, you know, difficult ways sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, right. Right. Yeah. Learning those observational skills is is really important. So I know that you've done some mentoring. I, I, you know, you obviously are mentoring grad students. Uh, you're, you're raising up the next generation of scientists in your field of, uh, of ecology, which is terribly important. You know, we, we, uh, you're at the cutting edge of what may determine our survival as a species, you know? Right. Right. Um, what would you tell a 25 year old five mm. if they were, they to ask you the question, how can I live life to the full? As a mm. uh, as a human being, what mm-hmm. what do I need to do? What do you mm. know, Doctor mm. Lindroth, that I need to know in order mm-hmm. to live life fully? And they knew they were a five. They understood. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, so one of the things I would say is embrace being a five. Hmm. I actually, uh, you know, once I understood Enneagram. Um, types, it really helped me to become comfortable with who I am as a person mm-hmm. and not feel that I'm somehow faulty in, in certain areas, which we all are, of course, but um, to be comfortable with, with the unique characteristics that I have. And by and large, I kind of like them. Mm. And I would, encourage, I would encourage others to embrace being a five, uh, embrace who you are, and then use it to serve others. So fives, as, as you well know, uh, become vast storehouses of information, but oftentimes are unwilling to share that mm-hmm. with others. And yet sharing of that can be very helpful uh, under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage people to develop relationships certainly to develop their emotional side in ways that allow them to use that knowledge and information that they gather to not only better their own lives, but better the lives of the people around them. Mm. Um, you know, I have a number, a small number of really good friends, and uh, I, I do think one of the things they like about hanging out with me is, especially if we're outdoors, is I'm always giving them fun information about the world. Mm. And yet I'm rarely willing to venture that information just on my own because I'm thinking, oh, they're not going to think this is interesting. Or um, So I usually wait to be asked. Mm. I, would, I, think I would encourage others to uh, be more willing to share that information. And then certainly the development of the uh, emotional maturity in ways that, that people can come to understand and accept their emotions and learn to process them in the now rather than in the future. Mm-hmm. Right, delaying the experience of emotions and... Right. Uh, in the moment. I've loved this conversation. And so I, have I. I, I have such a deep affection for fives, who I think, at least in the relational sphere, are the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think you were telling me earlier that, that for the longest time, your wife thought you didn't have emotions. Exactly. And that's a, you know, I understand how these, these, um, dynamics arise in relationships, you know, um, but nothing could be further from the truth. Fives are some of the most sensitive types I know on the Enneagram. You may not see it. You may not see it playing on their face. The sensitivity. Right. Oh, oh, sure. I'm very sensitive, yes. but you'll read it on my face very <laughs> clearly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I know that fives uh, are exquisitely sensitive. And you were actually mentioning it to you as a child. I see it with with five children. You know, they they are very sensitive. Uh, they're almost so attuned to what's going on. They're picking up everything that could be hurtful in some ways. Yes. Yeah. And of right. course, was were you? Did you have an awkward social childhood at school at all? Did you feel like you really belonged? You were in the the stream, oh, the social yeah, stream. No, no. You know, I always had a few good friends, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I was, you know, part of the popular crowd or anything like that. Right. I was always a little bit on the fringe. Yes, I didn't feel like an outcast, but certainly didn't feel like I was part of the crowd, as mm. as they would say. Right. Yeah. Well, incredibly helpful. It's always great to have a five that uh, is willing to come on the show and and really just talk about what I think others perceive as a very mysterious interior world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, of the five. So I'm so glad you were on. I can't thank you enough. Well, hey, uh, I've appreciated the opportunity. It's been fun, and thank you for uh, all you've done to help people like me understand Enneagram and and ultimately to understand ourselves and our our relationships uh, better than we would have otherwise. Well, this is such a great part of my life as I get to talk to interesting (laughs) people uh, every day about their their soul's journey. How do people find out more about what you're doing? Uh, They certainly could uh, go to my website. um, If I don't have the URL in my head, but Google my name and right. my website will come up. Right. I'm also a part of uh, the BioLogos Speakers Bureau. So if they're familiar with BioLogos or they could Google BioLogos and find out more about me there as well. Wonderful. Well, listen, peace and all good things to you. And uh, I, I hope we meet in person one day soon. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. I've enjoyed the time together. Great. Thanks. Hey, Typology Tribe. Wow, that was a rich conversation. I'm so glad you got to be a part of it. Make sure to listen to us next week. We love you. And remember, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. <laughs>